Okay, let's take our Bible and go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. This week and next week, we have in the concluding verses of James chapter 1 a very practical, very helpful, very instructive portion of God's Word. I titled the sermon today, You Must Be a Hearer and a Doer of the Word of God. Now, last week, as you know, we looked at James 1, and we saw verse 18, that by the decree of God, he brought you forth. He rebirthed you by the word of truth. That's the doctrine of regeneration. That's the change of your nature. That's the new life that God has given to you. That's what allows you to obey what we're going to talk about today. Follow with me, James 1 beginning in verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. We trust the Lord will take his word and write it on our hearts. The story is told of an old lady. She was a longtime member of her small little Baptist church. And after the Sunday morning service one day, as the pastor was in the back doors greeting everyone as they were exiting, she saw him and she shook his hands with the pastor and she said, Pastor, That was a wonderful sermon, she said. It was just wonderful because everything you said applies to somebody else I know. Point one is for my son. Point two is for my husband. Point three is for my obnoxious neighbor. And point four is for that family over there in the church. God wants you, and he wants me, to hear sermons so that you and I can be changed by what we hear from the Word of God. It it reminds me of how the people of God, the people of Israel, responded to Moses at Mount Sinai when they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do it. Read the word, read the law, and Israel responded, all that God says, we will do it. We can read similar points in Psalm 119. In Psalm 119, verse 57, we read, the Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. Later on in Psalm 119, verse 60, I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. Think about that. I hurried and I did not delay to keep God's commands. You see, the Bible is so filled with truths that every true believer is marked by obedience to God. Now, you and I know people who call themselves Christians and they don't obey God. God will give clarity about that today from James chapter 1. But a true believer is known. A true believer is marked. A true believer is distinguished by an obedient life. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 2, in the prologue of Peter's epistle, God has saved you to obey Jesus Christ. 
In Hebrews 5 verse 9, we read that Jesus became to all who obey him the source of eternal salvation. John chapter 3 verse 36 The author John said, whoever does not obey the Son of God will not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. But this is not just a New Testament thing. Even Jeremiah chapter 7 in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 7, 23, this is my command with my people, obey my voice and I will be your God. Jesus And the final night of his life, as he was walking to the Garden of Gethsemane in John chapter 15, verse 14, he said, you are my friends if you do what I have commanded you. Earlier in John 14, verse 23, if anyone loves me, Jesus said, he will keep my word. A lot of people say they love Jesus. But Jesus said, if you really love me, do you keep my word? He who does not love me does not keep my words. John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. You remember 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, the one who says, I have come to know God, but he does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. 1 John 5, verse 3, this is the love of God or love for God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So all through the word of God, and we could go to dozens more, you get the point that all through the scriptures, a true believer is marked by obedience, not perfection, but obedience to the Lord. That is the mark of God at work in the life of a transformed and regenerated person. And James here in our passage today is going to show that the distinguishing mark of a regenerated life of one whom God has rebirthed is obedience. If there's no obedience, then there's not been new life. If there's not the doing of the word, then there's not the life of the Lord. If God has given you life, if he's given you a new nature, then James is going to teach us you will obey your Lord. The word of the Lord must not only inform the mind, it must reform your life. Hear that again. The word of the Lord must not only inform the mind, but it must reform your life. You have to let in the word of God, and you need to live out the word of God. That's what James is saying today. You and I need to hear the word of God, and then we need to heed and obey the word of God. Now, you're in James 1, and we're going to look at that, but keep your finger here. Let me show you Matthew chapter 7. Go there. Now, this is the very end of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, And no doubt James, the brother of our Lord, was familiar with these words of his brother Jesus. When in Matthew 7, follow with me in verse 24. This is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. But verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. In this context, what does it mean to build your house on the rock? Answer, you hear and obey the word. Well, there were a lot of people that heard Jesus's words, but they didn't obey it. It's one thing to hear the word of God. It's quite another to obey the word of the Lord. So Pastor James, back to James 1. James is the brother of our Lord, and he has told us in chapter 1 very pastorally to consider it joy when you go through trials. And he's talked about that in verses 2 to 12. 
And then he told us how we are to resist temptation in verses 13 to 15. And then he says the only power that enables you to do this is you need to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit in verses 16 through 18. Now, if that's true of you, if you've been born again, if God has caused you to be newly born by the word of truth, now James says, okay, you have to live obediently. Now, real quick footnote. We live in a Christian, we live in American evangelicalism, Christianity in America, where you talk about obedience and they're quick to say you're legalistic. Obedience to God is not legalistic. Trying to be right with God by your obedience is legalism. Obeying God is not legalism, and calling other people to obey God is not legalism. That's biblical obedience and holiness. And so James is going to bring that out. James wants us to understand the importance of obeying the Word of God. And what we're looking at today is, this, is, is such a profound little paragraph. It's kind of like a table of contents. Like you have a book, you open it up to the first few pages, and there's a table of contents that tells you what the chapters will be. This paragraph today is a table of contents for the rest of the book. Because we're going to talk about anger today, we're going to talk about speech today, and we're going to talk about faith with works, faith that works. Well, that's the book of James. That's what James is going to teach us in coming weeks. So, God is the good giver of every good gift. God has rebirthed you, believer. He has saved you, believer. And now James is going to give you three important exhortations. Three important exhortations to all who are born again. Here they are. It's very simple. Number one, you you are to speak carefully. Number two, You are to listen attentively. And then number three, you are to apply deliberately. We're going to see each of those as we go through these verses together. James wants you to speak carefully, to listen attentively, and then to apply deliberately. Let's begin with number one in verses 19 and 20. Pastor James wants you and I, as the regenerated ones, to now speak carefully, to speak carefully. You see, the heart transformation should include a transformation in the way you talk. It ought to include a transformation in your responses in life. And James is going to talk about this more in James 3 and in James 4, but, but, but we all know that words and anger can cause great harm in relationships. We understand that. I mean, churches can be devastated. Homes can be devastated. Personal relationships can be broken and ruined by anger. Friendships are broken. Testimonies are lost. Trust can be shattered. Our words, our speech, our anger can cause great harm. Look at what James says, verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren. Everyone, every believer must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. It really is true that Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Never forget that. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And Proverbs has a lot to say about how we speak. Listen to Proverbs chapter 10 and in verse 19. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but whoever restrains his lips is wise. In Proverbs 13, verse 3, the one who guards his mouth preserves his life, but the one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. 
In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Later on in Proverbs chapter 29, in Proverbs chapter 29, in verse 11, Solomon says this, A fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. And then Proverbs 29, verse 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, with all these Proverbs, there's wisdom in the Bible on how we speak. But here's what's so beautiful about God's word. Christian, there's hope for you. You can open up the DSM and you can, you can hear a psychologist or a psychiatrist or someone with worldly wisdom talk about anger and all the explosive disorders that are out there. And they say, well, we don't know where it came from. And here's a pill or something to help you cope with it. The Bible, the Bible gives the believer hope. And the hope is not deal with it. The hope is not here's a pill. The hope is you've got the indwelling Holy Spirit You've got a new nature, and you can, and, Christian, you must deal with your anger. Look at verse 19 again, back at James chapter 1. James, in, a, in an imperative command, says, My beloved brethren, you got to know this. you got to know this. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak. It's easier to talk, isn't it? And it's harder to listen. Listening is the art of closing your mouth and opening your ears and opening your heart. It's like one writer many, many years ago said, God gave you two ears and he gave you one mouth. So listen more and talk less. And that's what James is saying right here in verse 19. Isn't it fascinating that the very first thing Pastor James wants the believers now after teaching on your new birth, he says, I want you to guard your words. Guard how you speak. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and third, slow to anger. Slow to anger. Why? Because the anger of man is not going to achieve the righteousness of God. Anger. We all get angry, every one of us. So much of our anger and so much of our wrath comes from being self-centered, not others-centered. That's a simple way to boil it down. I get angry because I'm getting something that I don't think I deserve. Or I'm getting some, or I'm not getting what I think I deserve, and I get angry. Anger is a response to a perceived unfavorable circumstance. And, and anger can really come two ways for us, can it? It can come in the slow burn. The slow burn. Here's how we say it I'm irritated. Well, let's just use biblical language. You're angry. I'm frustrated. You're angry. I'm bitter. You're angry. It's like Cain in the book of Genesis. Cain was angry in a slow burn. And he said to his brother, let's go out to the field. And he killed him. Or not only is it just the slow burn, but anger could also be the loud venting. It could be the outburst of anger, the yelling, the screaming, the losing it, the physical, foul, hurtful words, kind of like Sanballat in Nehemiah chapter 4, utterly angry and rebuking Nehemiah and the people of Israel. Maybe if we put it like this, we get angry because someone or something has gotten in our way and it has interrupted my agenda for my kingdom today. Here's what I want to happen, and I'm not getting what I want. And so we get angry. 
And anger is a self-centered, not an others-centered response to an unfavorable circumstance. And what is James saying? James is saying, Christian, child of God, you've been born again. You've got a whole new nature. You can. You can. And Christian, you must speak carefully. Why? Because verse 20, the anger of man does not achieve the righteous living that God wants. It doesn't achieve what's right and holy in our eyes. You say, yeah, but I've got righteous anger. Our righteous anger probably doesn't stay righteous all that long. It can become sinful quite quickly. And when James is writing in these verses, in the very first point here about speaking carefully, Christian, hear this. Number one, I don't want you to be fatalistic. I don't want you to be fatalistic and say, oh, that'll never happen. Oh, I'm irritated. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. That can never happen to me. No, don't, don't have that attitude. Christian, don't, don't be discouraged. I've tried and I can't. Do it. Don't be discouraged. Christian, third, don't be unbelieving. I don't think God can change me. I know God created the world, and I know he parted the Red Sea, but he can't change me in my anger problem. Oh, he certainly can. Number four, don't be self-righteous. I would never do that. I know that they get angry and they get frustrated and they're in outbursts and they're bitter and and they have that slow burn. I would not do that. Don't don't be self-righteous either. You see, Christian, what does James want? He's writing to to a group of early Christians and James is saying, I want you, Christian, to seek to live well. Listen well. I want you to speak timely, grace-filled words. You say, Jeff, I get it. But how do I do it in the moment when I'm tempted to respond with sinful words? Let me give you three C's. Number one, you need composure. Composure. Pause. Don't react emotionally. Pause. Composure. Self-control. Calm down. Number one, composure. Second, you need counsel. You need counsel. Here's the key question in a moment of anger. Ready? What am I wanting in this moment? What do I want? What do I want so bad that I'm responding with anger? Why am I so angry? So we need composure. We need counsel. And then the third C is we need Christ-likeness. What does that mean? We need patience. Patience. We need to trust God. We need to love others. We need long-suffering. And James is writing and he says, Christian, I want you to hear this because, because I want you to know that God has changed your nature. If you were not a believer, you can't put off anger. But now that you are a believer, you can, and you must, and God will help you. Now, he's going to deal with that and a lot more in chapter 4, so we'll leave it at that and come back to it later on. But Christian, may it be that you and I would heed this first very urgent pastoral exhortation to speak carefully. Watch your words. Boys and girls, watch your words. Men and women, watch your word. Young and old, married and single, watch your words. But not only does James want you to speak carefully, second of all, James is saying, well, I want you to listen attentively. I want you to listen attentively. Now look in your Bible at James 1 verse 21. Therefore, James says, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher. Maybe it's, maybe it's easy for me to say this, but I believe it with all my heart. That we as God's people, we need to regain the majesty of God in the word of God. When the Bible is read, God is speaking. 
And we also need to understand when the man of God faithfully preaches the word of God, God is speaking through that man to us. That is the high view of preaching that the New Testament reveals, that when the scripture speaks, God is speaking. And and that's why Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said, when we come to the word of God preached, we come to a matter of highest importance. Therefore, he said, we ought to stir up ourselves and bear and hear with the greatest devotion. So, if that's true, if the hearing of the word of God is of utmost importance, then we need to prepare before and we have to persevere during. Notice verse 21, how he brings it out. Verse 21, therefore, laying aside or putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Now, I like this word in verse 21, filthiness. Get rid of the filthiness. It's an interesting Greek word. It refers to external grime, you know, like filthy clothes, like a stained garment, like a muddy garment. It's like when my kids went to play soccer on one Friday and they're all full of mud. Guess what mom and dad said? Take off those filthy clothes before you get in the car. That's the idea of this external filthiness. It's stained, it's muddy. And verse 21, when you hear the word, we we need to put off that filth. Put put off what, what stains, put off the mud, put off the grime. Actually, this word in Greek is related to a Greek word, I love this, for earwax. It's almost like James is saying, clear out the earwax. And then you'll be ready to hear the word of God. Clear out whatever would would halt, whatever would hinder, whatever would disrupt the hearing of the word of God. Get rid of all of that earwax. And, verse 21, all that remains of wickedness. In the Greek, just a bad-heartedness, just a bad-hearted attitude. Get rid of all of that. Now, when James is saying to the believers, okay, when you are hearing the word of God, before you hear it, we need to put aside these things. Well, how do we prepare? How can we do that? Well, number one, I think one way we can prepare beforehand is to come on time when the word is read and preached. We can respect the reverence of the sanctuary We can stir up our heart, soul, body to worship God with with wholehearted strength. I think about that a lot. Our worship to God should not be wimpy and flimsy. It ought to be manly and courageous and full of energy and full of life because that's what heaven is like, full of energy and life and strength and vigor. We ought to prepare by realizing I'm going to meet with God. I'm going to go hear from God today. Not not because Jeff says God told me today, but because I'm going to hear the word of God opened and read and explained and applied. How do we prepare beforehand? We can prepare by having our Bible open and being ready to take notes and receive in the truth so that we can receive it and hold it and apply it to our lives. That's before. But look at verse 21. He also talks about during. How do you hear it when the word of God is going forth? 21, in humility, we are to receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Isn't that great? Receive it with humility. When the word of God is read and preached, hear it with examination. God, how can I grow today? Lord, show me through this message how I need to change. Lord, in your mercy, show me my sin. Refine me even more. Expose my faults and elevate Christ in my heart. James says, I want you to receive the word, yes, in humility, but receive the implanted word. You know what that means? 
It's already taken root within you. He's writing to believers. They've already been born again. He just said it in verse 18. He calls them those who are brethren. They're already believers. The word of God has taken root in their heart already. So receive it because it's already taken root in you. Hear it, receive it, do it, obey it. Pay attention when it's being read. I think of it like this. I'm a father of five, and, and so if I were to go to the doctor, and a doctor were to say, now, you, you, one of your children has a very important and a very serious medical, a medical update. Now, you need to listen carefully, because I'm going to give you directions, I'm going to give you orders, and even the time in which you must administer this medication to your children. Well, don't you think I would pay attention to that? I mean, that's an important word from a doctor for the care of my children. Well, how much more? When the, when the heavenly physician is giving us divine directions for our soul, should we not listen to what the heavenly physician is saying every bit as carefully so that I can follow those directions for my life? How, how do you listen well? I, I wish I could give sermon after sermon after sermon on this. I've written blog after blog after blog on it, but let me give you some thoughts. How do you listen well? Number one, listen reverently. Christian, I don't know how else to say it. God, the majestic king, is speaking to you through the reading and the preaching of the word. So listen with reverence. There ought to be a seriousness, a sobriety. There ought to be a, a high, holy reverence for the majesty of God when the word is going forth. Second, we listen attentively. Attentively. Oh, we Children do what they do. Children cry and they moan and they scream and they might drop things and that's okay. And people get up and they might walk around. That happens. But the responsibility falls upon us to listen attentively and to focus. Third, to listen believingly. Lord, I believe that this sermon from this Bible passage today is what you have for me for this week. And then I come on Wednesday, and then I come on Sunday, and what you're going to give me in the market day of the soul is going to fill me and supply me for what I need for those upcoming days. We listen believingly, believing in God, believing in his word, believing in Christ, not believing in ourselves, believing in him. Fourth, we listen personally. Now, you might know the faults and the sins and the errors of someone else in the church family, but we don't listen for them. I hope she is listening right now. No, we, we listen personally and individually. Lord, what can I do? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then fifth, we must listen applicationally or listen with a goal to implement I remember when I was in seminary, I was taught by one of my disciplers that when I'm taking notes, I had my Bible open, I had my notes. And as I was taking notes, I would, you know, take down the main points and some of the key words. But in the top right corner, just for me, it worked. I would have a circle. I would have a circle. And I would just jot down maybe one, maybe two, maybe three things that when I leave the place, when I leave the building, I can strive to implement those that day. It wasn't 25 things, it was a couple of things. And that really helped me, and that grew me, and, that, and, and God used that very careful, reverent, attentiveness, believing, personal, individual hearing of the word, so that, Jeff, you need to implement this into your life. A woman once came to her pastor after he preached, and she told him, she said, Pastor, I just want you to know, I take thorough notes on Sundays. In fact, th that church met Sunday morning and that church met Sunday night. And she, she just said, I take thorough notes from all of your sermons. And so when I get home Sunday night, she was a widow at this time. She said, when I get home Sunday night, I put my sermon notes in front of me. I just lay out my notes. 
And she said, then I, with a pen, I underline the things that I must strive to put into practice. And then she said, then I go through those one by one, and I try to implement them throughout that upcoming week. Wow, what a great encouragement for the pastor. Why? Well, not only does James say we must speak carefully, but we must listen attentively. And and I I praise the Lord, church family, that you are an attentive flock, that you do listen well to the word of God. But take it from the Lord, from his word, in ways in which you and I can grow, ways in which you and I can excel still more to listen well and listen attentively to the word of God. And then there's a third pastoral exhortation that James gives us. It's verses 22 to 25. So James has told you and me to speak carefully, to listen attentively. And now third, James says, okay, careful how you talk. You're careful how you hear. But now we need to apply, third, apply deliberately. Okay, parents, you get this. When you tell your children to clean their room, there is a world of difference between hearing your word and doing, right? Dad, I heard what you said. Well, what did you do about it? That's what the Lord wants us to hear. Ezra set his heart to read the law, to obey the law, and then to teach its statutes in Israel. Ezra 7.10. Psalm 119 verse 60 said, I hastened and I did not delay to keep your commandments. Now, James 1, look with me in your Bible. I want you to see this here. And careful, this is a convicting portion of the word. If the Spirit of God in love convicts you, know that it comes from the mouth of a pastor who loves you. But much more than that, it comes by the love of the Spirit of God who lives within you to grow you. Verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So three simple points here. Verse 22 tells us the principle. We need to obey the word. 22, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. The ESV has deceiving themselves. The NISV has delude themselves. Another, I like this English translation when it says, you're just fooling yourselves. If you hear the word of God, but you don't do the word of God, you're fooling yourself. It's like somebody who misses the exit when they're on the journey and he continues going down the freeway that he's been on and he keeps telling himself, it's okay. And somebody says, but you, you, you missed the exit. No, it's okay. No problem. It will work out. That guy is fooled. And that guy is deceived. What is Pastor James saying? Verse 22, one of the simplest and clearest and most sobering verses. He says this, if you're merely hearing the Bible, but you're not obeying God's word, you're deceived. It's one thing to be full of sermons. And to have a head filled with sermons. I I go every day. I hear the word of God preached. I've got five podcasts. I've got all these sermons that I hear all day long. Good. The question is, what do you do with what you've heard? Maybe I can illustrate it like this. When I was in seminary, we had the, uh, the opportunity to audit classes. And so I I audited a number of classes, especially in the counseling realm. I wanted to grow in that area. And 
And so I attended class, and I listened to the lectures, and I gleaned, and I benefited, but because I was auditing, I'm so thankful, I wasn't required to do all of the work in the class. I didn't have to take the tests, I didn't have to write the research papers, I just benefited from hearing all the great truth. I wasn't accountable for what I heard. It was just for my own benefit. And I wonder if that is a fitting illustration for many pew sitters, churchgoers, who come and they audit the Word of God. They, they sit, they listen, they've got the advantage. I mean, what an advantage of hearing the Word of God read and hearing the Word of God taught and hearing the Word of God preached. But there's no desire and intentional effort to apply the Word of God and be changed by it. God's, God's clear directive in the Scripture for every single one of us is that the preaching and the teaching and the reading of the Word of God must result in transformation of life. That's the principle. But James is a wonderful pastor and a skilled teacher. Now he's going to give a picture. He's going to give an illustration. Look at verses 23 and 24. Let me explain, verse 23, for if anybody is a hearer of the word, but you're not a doer, you're like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. You know, a mirror just simply exposes what's there. And it shows the action that you need to take. You know, you go to the mirror and you you look and and then you forget about it and you go away and you forget what was exposed. That doesn't do any good. Well, so in a similar way, the mirror is a great thing. It's a very helpful thing. It's a very exposing thing because it shows us things that we cannot see on our own, like maybe hair that's out of place or a tie that might be crooked or a mirror can show a little chocolate dripping down your chin or it can show a little shaving cream spot that I left on my cheek or a big nose hair that's hanging out of my nose. Well, if I have a mirror and I see what needs to be done, But then I walk away, and I make no change, and I forget, and I choose to not take action. What's what's the point? What's, What's the point of looking in the mirror? It doesn't bring any change. Now, in the original Greek, there's a way to bring emphasis. It's to highlight an action from the perspective of the author. There's one verb that you can't miss. It's right in the middle of verse 24. Notice the first verb. There was a man who looked at himself. You see that there. But here's the emphasis. He goes away. Oh, you look at yourself in the mirror and you see what needs to be done and you see the changes that need to be done and, and you're exposed and it shows you what's really going on. But the emphasis is, but, but you go away. You, you leave. You, you walk away. And then verse 24, you immediately forget what kind of person he was. You see, the problem is not that people hear the truth. The problem is that people depart and walk away from the truth and don't take appropriate action. Here's how we do this. Sometimes when we hear the word of God taught and exposes what's there, it shows us our heart. Sometimes we just want to avoid the problem. I don't want to deal with that. Or maybe it's easy for us to turn our attention to something else. Or maybe it it might be easy to just sort of dull the conscience. I don't want to deal with it. I'll come to it later. And then you do it again. And then you do it again. And then you do it again. Or maybe you see it as helpful for other people, but not for you. Or distractions. Or one who's self-righteous. I don't need this. It's a good sermon. It's a good word. It's a wonderful chapter. I've heard it before. Other people can benefit from it. 
Or maybe it can be easy to compare oneself with others. You know, I'm doing better than they are at that. Or maybe the word just goes in one ear and out the other. Hear this. Impression without transformation will lead to devastation. If you and I are impressed by the words, something convicts us. We're shown who we really are from the mirror of the word. We're impressed by the word, but yet there's no transformation. The result is it leads to devastation. Verse 25. It gives us the practice. So what do we do? You say, Pastor, what what do I do now? Verse 25, what a a glorious God. He gives such hope and joy here. 25, but but the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty. I love how God calls his word the law of liberty. The perfect law. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. He calls it the law of liberty. Why? Because whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. But later on in John 8, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. There is a freedom that comes in the Word of God. If you look into the Word, the law of liberty in 25, verse 25 tells us, and you abide, you remain, you camp there. I want to know this word. I want to study this word. I want to live out this word. Oh, I I, I want to be convicted by this word. And I want to repent of my sin. And I want to walk in obedience to Christ. Oh, that is the kind of person, verse 25, who is not a forgetful hearer, but he is an effectual doer, this one. Do you see the description there? He will be... Blessed. Kind of reminds us earlier of verse 12, how blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. God, God wants you to be blessed. This is the happy way to live the Christian life. This is the joyful way to live the Christian life. This is the intentional way to live the Christian life. This is how God blesses his children. Jesus said, blessed are you. If you do these things, John 13, verse 17. Oh, we want to hear. We want to abide. We want to practice the things that we hear. The Puritans said it so well, and I affirm, I think it's true. They said, one sermon practiced is better than 10 sermons without being changed by it. If if we hear one sermon and we put it into practice, that is far better than hearing 10 sermons preached but not being changed by it. And let that be a good word for us. It's easy. We, We hear it on podcasts. We hear it online. We hear it all throughout the day. Maybe at your work you can listen to sermons. That is a great thing. A wonderful blessing in living in the times in which we live. We have those blessings. But you and I are going to give account for what we hear. And we're going to give account for what we do with what we hear in the Word of God. There was a story. I love this story. It was, it's an old Scottish story. A Scottish minister was preaching one Sunday and He was coming near the end of his sermon, and he was drawing it all to a close, and he closed his Bible on that big wooden pulpit. And one wife in the congregation leaned over to her husband, and she said, is the sermon done? And the husband leaned back over to his wife, and he said, the sermon has been spoken, but it has yet to be done. That man understood. The preaching and the hearing of the word of God is one thing. But may it be that we would be those who do the word of God as well. 
So Christian, you have heard this paragraph. You've read this paragraph. You've prepared well ahead of time. You have sit and persevered through the preaching of the word of God. So we've heard a sermon on applying the sermon. May the Lord, the beloved Holy Spirit, give grace to me and you as we go from here today, as you have conversations with one another. As you're driving home with your family in the car, as you have dinner this evening together, as you're going to bed tonight, as you wake tomorrow morning, as you're going throughout your day this week, and your mind and your heart has been filled with the feast of God's word, Jesus said, take heed how you hear. Be careful how you hear. Because hearing without doing, can be tragic. I'll end with this illustration. It was in 1912 that the seemingly mighty, invincible Titanic was on the voyage. And the, the, the ship's radio man received a message from another ship that there were icebergs in the area. Unfortunately, though, the radio operator heard the message. It was a clear information. It was a clear message. It was clear danger. It was very loud and clear. But yet the radio operator placed that message under a weight next to his elbow, and then he left, and he walked away. He went on with his work as if nothing had been said. Well, the word of imminent danger never reached the captain. And thus the small little miscue led to the loss of all those lives on the Titanic. It struck an iceberg, suffered a mortal blow. What's the point? Information without action can lead to devastation. It happened historically on the Titanic. Oh, may it not be that there is anyone here who is merely a hearer of the word, but not a doer. May God, by his merciful and powerful Holy Spirit, those whom he has caused to be born again by the word of truth, may he grant you the grace to obey verse 22, to prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. May God help us. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Help us to take the words of David in Psalm 119, to hasten and hurry and not delay, to obey and live out your commands. What a joyful thing it is. What a blessed life it is to walk in obedience to you, King Jesus. Help us to excel still more for your glory. Thank you for this church congregation who does prepare beforehand and persevere during the word and practice afterward. And Lord, with that, we also pray that you would help us to excel, to grow, that you would mature us more, that you would show us where we can grow and change. For your honor and for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.